Hello and welcome to the Poetry Exchange. I'm Michael Schaefer. And I'm Fiona Bennett. Fantastic to see you, Michael. Nice to see you, Faye. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, well, it's it's much better than sitting on my own. That's <laughs> what I was doing last time I did one of these. It's good yeah, to have you, did you a back. Very good job. I'm not sure. I, you know, I'm starting to think you don't need me, Shay. It was. Uh, I enjoyed listening to it. No, don't you get used to that idea, mate. That's not happening. <laughs> I can tell you that. It was fantastic, Michael. I so enjoyed seeing the play. Um, it was oh. absolutely extraordinary. I imagine you're quite exhausted. Uh, I am a bit, yeah, but in a, in a, in a nice way. Yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, yeah, the run has come to an end now and it's just a short run, but it was... It was such a treat to do. My first time back on stage since the pandemic. And uh, yeah, I had a really great time. So yeah, thank you, Faye. Good. Well, I, I'm always a bit curious about this, so I'm going to ask you. You know, I saw the play and you had this, you know, this really kind of very huge character that you've been living in, really, one way or another, for whatever it is, eight weeks, if you include the rehearsals. And then it all stops. And this guy that you've been being for a couple of hours every night is kind of no longer no longer in your life. Do you have any kind of ritual for sort of saying goodbye to him or whoever you may be playing? I feel I'm still working that out, Faye. Uh, <laughs> every time I do, do a job, it's a process of trying to work out what the best thing to do is. On this occasion, um, I've actually been walking with a friend uh, in Dorset on the, uh, the coast walk, coastal walk there, and um, that was great. So maybe that will be the thing, is that I'll plot in like a, a, a little walking holiday after a show but yeah very much enjoyed that yeah gorgeous well you see that's the thing i think the sea is always good for doing a kind of a kind of wipe you know just doing a bit of a yeah a, a really and for the deep breath into a different yeah. horizon no, you're right the sea does help now you're you're doing a very beautiful segue there into uh our <laughs> into our conversation this month fiona but before we go there, uh, you're not going to get away with it. I, I do just need to congratulate you on uh, being long-listed for the National Poetry Prize. Have I got that correct? It's the National Poetry Competition. I'm sorry, the National Poetry Competition and yours was among the 16,000 entries. And you've been long-listed, which means you've made it into the top 106, I think I'm right in saying. Something like that, yeah. That's extraordinary. And I've been privileged enough to read the poem and uh, it's definitely worthy of that. It knocked my socks off, Fee. So huge congratulations on the poem itself, really, first and foremost, I suppose. But wonderful to, for, to have it recognised and to have your work recognised in that way. That um, I don't know, I think that's a really special moment. So well done, Fee. Mm, thank you, Michael. I think, you know, people often ask me what the relationship is between doing the poetry exchange and being a poet and writing. Mm. And I, I would say that I think it's kind of hard to summarise what that is, but the sort of very close reading of a poem through the connectedness that it's had for somebody else, I think makes me, as a writer, I hope, kind of gives me an extra in on how to keep a poem alive 
Mm. You know, because you can write a line that's a great line, but is it really alive? That's interesting, Faye. I'm really that's that's really fascinating that your your close reading and your close listening as a as a result of this project is and the way that's feeding in. Now, Faye, am I right in saying that you publish some of your poems on your personal website? Yeah, anybody who's interested to read, uh, there's a few of my poems on the site. It's fionabennett.co.uk. That's great, Fee. I'm going to go and have a look around on your site once we've finished talking. Now, Michael, I know we, we, I've done that um, tempting tease towards the episode, but there was one more thing that I wanted to mention before we head into that conversation, which is another podcast that a friend and visitor to the Poetry Exchange has been putting together uh, that is really extraordinary and I just wanted to offer it as a possible listen to our listeners. It's being produced, hosted, put out into the world by the fabulous Martin Heaney who came to us with The Lake Arlevin is Free. In fact, it's one of those previous episodes of The Lake Arlevin is Free that I mentioned last time. And Martin has created a podcast, which you can find on Anchor FM, entitled Chatty Guy Talks Cancer, Care and Hope. And I won't say too much more other than that I think it's one of the most profound, pertinent, meaningful listens you could possibly put into your earbuds. Mm. Yeah, he's an amazing man, Martin. Yeah. Very good. Well said, Faye. Yes, now you did, you, you did, you tried to do a little tease around the sea. Mm. Uh, and that's because, uh, well, the, the, the poem that we're about to introduce is all set by the sea and features the sea. And indeed, our, our guest enjoys very much living by the sea. It's a big part of his life. So you're going to be listening to Fiona and John talking about Fisherman by Dennis Scott. The poem that's been a friend to Michael. You're by the sea then, are you, Michael? Yes, I'm very much by the sea. Pretty good going. Pretty good going. Um, Would you like to give us a reading, Michael? Okay. Scales like metal flint his feet, the empty eyes like me. Or grey, the colours in the heat, cool as the oily sea. With gentle hand, he slits the heart and the flesh as white as milk. And the ribboned entrails fall apart like the fall of coiling silk. Some day I too shall fish and find on stranger shores than these the ribs and muscles of my blind self rainbowed from the seas. Thank you. It's already such an evocative poem. I wonder if you recall when you first encountered it. I was trying to think, and I, I, I can't remember. It's definitely around um, in the late 70s, so quite a long time. It is very interesting because when you asked about um, a friend, one of the things I've been trying to do during this lockdown is to read, and it's just not happening at all. Mm-hmm. But then I remember every time I... What I do most days is I go for a walk to the sea and it always comes back. <laughs> this, whenever I go to the sea, this poem comes back. 
and and because after you said it and i thought yeah actually it's there because i learned it very early and recently actually it came back very very sort of vividly because i went when we had springtide two weeks ago i went down to the sea to collect seaweed for the allotment and there was a fishmonger and you know it is really rough seas and he was throwing out entrails of fish <laughs> on the shore and the gulls were around him. It was really fantastic. It was very in a lot of ways very different from the sort of the timbre of this poem, which is very, very gentle and quiet. But it was the thing of the entrails being, you know, being thrown out and then I I thought about it again. So so it, it, it's, it's, it has actually been a friend. And then I started to think about all the different shores I've been on where I have actually thought of it. It has come back to me. So at various times, you know, as a student in the north of France, because I, you know, I was in Munich, there are not very many shores there. Mm. But every now and then I'd go, go visit somewhere on the, the North Sea, so north of France or once in the north of Germany and then repeatedly in Jamaica, of course. And then I went to Africa and then I was on a different shore because, you know, the, the poem talks about these strange shores and these. And then, of course, when you're somewhere else, <laughs> you're at those strange shores, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. And, and, then, and then when you talk about, you know, that there, there's a possibility of some other strange shore somewhere else. <laughs> it's very interesting in that sense. So it's almost been a um, a kind of prophecy, this time. Yeah, yeah, in a way, yes. But it it has something about an unfulfilled prophecy, isn't there? Because then, of course, when you are at the shore. So, for example, being in Jamaica forty years ago, the shore that I'm at at the moment is would have been a very strange shore than then. But actually, the shore has now become a familiar shore. <laughs> so when I, I speak of it, then obviously there I'm thinking, ah, there might be even some other, even stranger shores than these mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at some point. So, you know, it sort of makes it timeless. And almost like the waves, there's this ongoing eternal movement. Yes, except um, it, it's very interesting because I... One of the reasons why I was thinking about when I met the poem is that Dennis Scott became my teacher at university. So I know him well. And of course, by then, I I, I knew I'd known this poem before before I, I met him. I'm not quite sure where he would have been, you know, his shore. But... The, the thing is that the shores in Jamaica are most times not very wavy. No. And this is the thing about the oily sea, because I can think of where he might have been in Jamaica, because there's some sort of fisherman's beach. And, you know, the, the thing is that he, he conjures up this image, which I can, can see all the time. Uh, and especially at that time of day, mainly they're sort of absolutely flat. So it's not a thing about waves at all. And this is, you know, the thing about the oily seas, as if oil has been poured on the sea, really. It's a thing about the calm. 
The scales like metal flint his feet, their empty eyes like me. How grey their colours in the heat, cool as the oily sea. It's very interesting too with um because I only noticed because you know I always when I recited I always used to to have with gentle hands and then I noticed with gentle hand actually it's just one hand <laughs> and it's it's part of this thing of the you know the the absolute calmness really sort of a, there's something about longing but a resignation as well isn't there. How wonderful that it has really been there, even the sound in your in your various travels, you know, but it's like a companion, it's been there, there's been a constancy of it. Yeah. But and at the same time the poem in that third stanza sort of is always opening up the possibility of the next yeah. next stage, the next journey as well. It's really thing about this, you know, the entry is really sort of a it's deceptively gentle because actually when you think of being disemboweled <laughs> and of course the whole thing of the you know the being blind and and you know not knowing it's really interesting mm. and of course being silk silk ribbons and silk it's, he, he, i mean he was he was very masterful in terms of his, his use of language as a, as a very skilled yeah it's amazingly compact and yet doing that wonderful thing of blowing everything open at the same time. Exactly. Kind of incredible. Uh, and of course, it, it does this thing that um, I think the best poets do of sort of taking something of an image that is just, in a lot of ways, very mundane. And then actually, you know, opening it up. Uh, something that is so everyday that, you know, happens in Jamaica every Every morning, I, I grew up in a place called Falmouth, partially, right by the the, the the beach. And, you know, people just walk down to the beach to just watch the fishermen coming in, bringing their boats and, and then doing that, you know, selling the fish and, and gutting the fish, as we say. So something very everyday, you know. Yeah, it's part of the mystery of great poetry that you can't always know how how that craft is working you know it's so invisible to us in reading it but what I have in my in my film of the poem is also he conveys somehow the hand absolutely knowing what it's doing through that habit yeah. of that being the work of that hand and maybe that's part of the silk maybe you know that you feel the hands are very skilled and, and of course there is a thing that they do there, but they just actually let the thing. I, I can see it now, you know, the um, intestines just dropping. And it does do that thing, you know, the thing about the ribbon uh, and then the, you know, with the rainbow, because it does glisten. It, it, it's, it's phenomenal because he actually captures that, you know, if you've seen it and, and watched it and as, like, as a child being fascinated by it, fascinated and a bit afraid of it as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> With gentle hand he slits the heart and the flesh as white as milk and the ribboned entrails fall apart like the fall of coiling silk. And it's very interesting to we really talking about the opening up 
you know, he talks about the sea in the first stanza, but then he talks about the seas in the, in the last, <laughs> you know, so it goes from the sea to the seas. Mm. Which, and of course, we have this um, relationship to the sea in the Caribbean. And certainly at that time, it was very, I mean, as they talk about it now because of the, you know, the slave trade. And also the sense of being belonging here or there, but belonging elsewhere and having come with the seas is, you know, it's really fascinating. And and I think that in a lot of ways, he is actually making some sort of reference to that, you know. It's the thing about being living on an island, you're always aware, and especially a small island like Jamaica, you're always aware of the sea and the fact that sort of as much part of the sea as it be a part of the land. So when you, I think you were saying it was the late 70s probably when you were... Yeah. So were you in Jamaica at that time? Yeah. So I met Dennis when I was 19. I think this was on a poster at my aunt's house. I think, ah. I think that is where it was. And then what my first um, relationship, this poem was constantly exchanged. <laughs> we constantly <laughs> recited it to each other. And actually, every now and then, uh, we still sort of quoted to each other. <laughs> but also, the other time when I, um, I went to the north of Portugal on my 60th birthday and walked by the sea and, and thought of this thing as well. It's a good companion. It's uh, it's taken some journeys with you. Oh yeah, that's such a great word for it, though companion, because there is that sense of traveling companion. You know, it's a particular. It's almost like a particular kind of friend, almost like one that the being in company wherever you might be. Yeah, you know, is this sort of intimacy? Mm -hmm. I think about the companion really. Someday I too shall fish and find on stranger shores than these the ribs and muscles of my blind self rainbowed from the seas. Can you say any more about the final stanza and what that means for you? Well, I suppose the, the feeling of uh, maybe the non-finito the fact that, you know, there is, it is incomplete. But it's very strange because I think when you're, you're young, and certainly in my, in my younger day, it used to, I suppose, be a little bit disconcerting, this. But no, it isn't, actually. Mm. It, it's a sort of an acceptance, isn't there? This, this last answer, it is about an acceptance. Mm. And I suppose the idea is that you, one can accept the, the blindness which maybe one would would not have accepted when you were younger, <laughs> you know, the, the fact that you are blind and there are lots of things you'll never ever understand, really. And, and maybe the, the fishing may be a totally different shore that's so strange you might not be there <laughs> in that sense, you know. Yeah, it's quite brilliant because it manages to feel both young and old at the same time. Yes, it, carry, it, it carries both, doesn't it? It carries both. Yeah, it's it of... a sort of timelessness, it's transcendent. Mm. Mm. 
I, I am interested to just ask a bit more about Rainbow because it is so striking. Well, I suppose you know we we come from from a very religious culture. You know, now Rainbow is a sign, you know, being gay and of the Rainbow culture and you know Mandela. But when he would have written it, which would have been in maybe the sixties, seventies, I suspect he would have been referring to um, to Noah and the and the hope really of the rainbow. I think that would that would have been it. One of the things that I'm noticing here is in terms of the shift, because one goes from observing the fisherman to being the fisherman, to being the fish. Mm. <laughs> really, you know, from the observer to the fisher to, to the fish. Mm. <laughs> and he does that in the last stanza, doesn't he? But then, um, you know, the ribs and muscles of my blind selves, in that sense, I then become the, the fish. Brilliant. Really. Brilliant. It makes an ambiguity in a really good way of the someday I too shall fish. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I too shall be fish, you know. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it's wonderful. But then it's also very, um, it's very calm because even though the idea of the ribs and muscles, I, I shall find that, you know, my own entrails on this thing, but yet it's, it's, it's discovery, isn't it? <laughs> Of, of my blind self, you know, so it's, it's a thing of discovery. So you live in Worthing now, you've lived there for a few years. Mm -hmm. You still have moments of glimpsing fishermen and going and getting seaweed for the allotment. Yeah. What's it like as a seaside experience and uh, how does it compare <laughs> to other seas? Yeah, well, it's different at different times of the year. One doesn't see fishermen very often but there are boats there so there are obviously a fishermen somewhere in summer it's it's really a tourist town and it's the seas are you know it's a seaside in that sense in the winter is a different sea mm -hmm. because the tourists are gone no you know it's different and in fact every now and then at night because i i go out late i can actually see that there are fishermen out on the out on the sea but the, the, the thing about uh, the sea and somewhere like where one of the things is, for example, that the sea is different here than in Jamaica is that we don't we don't see the tide in Jamaica. I think maybe because it's near to the equator. So you don't see the tide going out and coming in very much. But in Worthing, it's really, really pronounced. So it's very, very active sea, isn't it? You know, mm. it's it's very and, and of course when the, the weather changes, it changes. So it's always, it is for me every time I go there, you know, it's just sort of an act of discovery. What is it going to be like today? When is it? And there's a time when I actually had the tide, the tide tables on my phone and I would actually look, but no, I just sort of go and be surprised at what the time, the tide. And then we have something like a spring tide where the, you know, the sea turns something totally differently. I know even though I live, 10 minutes away from it at night when we have like a storm i feel as if you know the sea is actually in my bed because it's really you, know, you can hear it and it's very tempestuous so it's a, it's a very living thing for me you know it's just really and then um 
the, the I don't know where I first saw this the thing of the the sea between us. I don't know if you know that. Um, Emily Dickinson. Yeah, is it where that where it, is that where it, it comes from? Yeah. Uh, um, so it's quite strange. It, it divides, doesn't it, as well? But again, it's the same sea, isn't it? You know, Jamaica is is on the other side of that very same sea. It is the same sea, for example, or, you know, Portugal or West Africa or wherever. It is the same sea. Did you choose, was it quite an active choice for you to to go and live by the sea in that way? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, all the time, because I, I lived in the Midlands for seven years, and then I went up to um, Newcastle. I wanted to go and live by the sea, and now when I, you know, I'm coming close to retirement and I have to think of where I want to live. But now, you know, will I be able to go and live near the sea? Because it's even different, different if you're living five miles from the sea when you're 25. But when you're 75, if I ever made that, five miles from the sea is a really far away place. Mm. <laughs> Ideally, I'd like to live where I could walk to the sea, but there are a few places in the world that you can afford to live so by the sea. It's so expensive to be mm. by the sea. I'd love to ask, Michael, when you were last in Jamaica? Uh, la- actually, last year I went. and um, Last year when I went, I actually st- stopped and walked along the coast that I walked as a child and to the beach and actually went and spoke to the fishermen (laughs) there and have really lovely pictures of this bay and of, of, you know, fishermen there. And of course, I know, we don't know when I'll ever be get a chance to go back at all. Just, just, just there where I would have had these memories of the fishermen. Dennis Scott, fisherman. The scales like metal flint his feet, their empty eyes like me. How grey their colours in the heat, cool as the oily sea. With gentle hand he slits the heart, and the flesh as white as milk, and the ribboned entrails fall apart like the fall of coiling silk. Someday I too shall fish, and find on stranger shores than these the ribs and muscles of my blind self, rainbowed from the seas. That was John with The Gift Reading of Fisherman by Dennis Scott. Our thanks, of course, to Michael for giving us permission to use that wonderful conversation. And we will put some links on the description page to Dennis Scott's work. Um, An extraordinary writer, and I didn't know anything about him until uh, we met Michael and we were introduced so beautifully to that poem. But yeah, a, a poet, also a playwright and... I think, uh, yeah, one of those people whose voice and use of voice, 
probably made a shift in the poems that were possible after he had put his work out into the world. So definitely somebody that needs to be known more about and read. So we'll put some links to Dennis Scott in the description page. So Michael, I did just want to mention, um, I was catching you up with a bit of this the other day when we spoke and you'd finished the play, but it really has been very moving to have so many messages from listeners and from all walks of life and from all corners of the world. But in particular, I'm thinking of those responses we've had lately from people working in care and health. And um, in particular, nurses, a couple of nurses have been in touch. And I remember that when the pandemic started, you and I were wondering what we could do if there was something particular we could do. Mm. And we sort of thought, well, they'd be too busy to be listening to podcasts and all that. But it appears that one way or another, some of those incredibly special people working right at the edge of everything and under this immense pressure have still found us and found poems as friends and found that to be a a useful, calm space, I think, for, yeah, keeping, keeping some perspective on things and having poems there to give words to some of the feelings that have been overwhelming, I guess. Mm. So a huge thank you to those of you that have been in touch and also to say that it is inspiring uh, a kind of phase of work that we're hoping to do next year around health and care and, yeah, poems as friends for people who, who are working in those domains. So we'll be um, bringing some more news around that in due course. And of course, as always, if you want to hear news from us, the best thing to do is to sign up to the newsletter, which you can do via the website, thepoetryexchange.co.uk. Very good. Thanks, Fee. That's great. I, I was actually just looking at, uh, at where people have been listening. You know, you can see where in the world people have been downloading and listening to the podcast. And so obviously there's a lot in the UK. There's increasingly there's a lot in the United States now, as well as France, Canada, Italy, Ireland, Australia, Germany, India, Sweden, Kuwait, Morocco, New Zealand, South Africa, Denmark, Lebanon, Spain, Switzerland, Belgium. It just goes on and on and on. And it's just really exciting to see that and to know that this little thing that we put out in our funny little way um, uh, is is being heard around the world in this way so thanks to everyone that that listens um, but uh, uh, yeah that's that's really exciting for us so thank you oh thank you for doing that that list there Michael it was lovely I was just sort of going in my mind's eye uh, to those various places <laughs> yeah. as much as I could yeah. and it was really lovely So wherever you are, whatever time of day it may be, however you're listening, um, wish you well in your day. We'll be back next month with more Poems as Friends. Thank you for listening. Mm